Amen. You know, my dad was, uh, a couple of weeks ago, told me a really crazy story. How many of you guys know about my dad? Okay, so if you don't know, uh, I have an Indian father who has a very thick Indian accent. And sometimes I imitate him, so I don't want you to be offended uh, because he's not offended. And right now he's in India on a missions trip, and so he's not here anyways, okay? And so, so uh, the other week I was at his house and he told me something crazy. He's like, Samson, did you know that the pipe in my garage broke and water was coming everywhere? And I said, oh no, what did you do? He said, I called 911. <laughs> and I said, what did they say? He said, they said, don't call us. <laughs> and I finally, I like talked with him. I was like, why did you do that? And you know, like he was just explaining to me how in that, the chaos of the moment, the high pressure, he just did whatever came to his mind first. Have you ever been there before where you're in like a high pressure environment and you just kind of lose your brain for a second, right? Well, it's funny. It's like my mom was in the room as my dad is telling me this and he looks at, she looks at him and says, why did you tell him that? You know, he's going to go tell everybody at the church. <laughs> See, that's, that's what you call a prophetic word, you know? The reason I share that is because as we're looking at this passage of scripture, we're looking at Paul writing to Timothy. And you can imagine that Timothy was in a high pressure environment where he would have lost his brain for a second. And it would have been hard for him to face the obstacles and challenges that have come his way. And so maybe you've been there too. Maybe you face some challenges. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in, fa- in your family. Maybe it's, it's with relationships. I don't know what that is for you, but I can tell you we all face them. And so as we look at this passage, I want us to think about how God is calling us to deal with those things. Uh, Just to give you a little bit of context, uh, Timothy, uh, Timothy and Paul had a special relationship. Paul was an apostle who would travel, and his ministry model was he would travel from a city to city, and he would typically go to a city, reach people, and establish a church, and then he would bring in somebody like Timothy to be the pastor, if you will, of that church, and then Paul would move on and go plant another church, right? And then Timothy had the very difficult task of having to, one, on one side, be able to defend the faith, to preach the true gospel, and defend the gospel from false teachers trying to weasel their way in, right? And on the other side, Timothy also had the difficult task of having to raise up leaders because he knew that the next city over, Paul's going to have him go to that church. And so he had to raise up leaders to replace himself. So if you've ever been in a situation where you have to Man, keep something afloat. Maybe it's leading a project or school or or leading a team at your job or or leading a company. Whatever that looks like for you, you have the job of keeping this thing afloat, but at the same time, you have to raise up leaders. You can relate with Timothy and what he's facing. So let's get into the passage. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to note two things. One is Paul's relationship to Timothy. Paul and Timothy are extremely close. In fact, Paul is not Timothy's biological dad, but he is his spiritual father. And he has taken Timothy under his wing. And the second thing I want you to note is Paul's use of the word grace. We'll talk about that later. In fact, if you feel comfortable, you can underline it or circle it in your Bible. We'll come back to it. Verse 2. And you have heard me teach these things, 
that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So Paul is reminding Timothy of his assignment. Remember, Timothy, you got to defend the faith and teach the gospel purely. And then at the same time, you got to raise up leaders, right? He's reminding him of his assignment. And then Paul gives him three illustrations to help convey what he's trying to communicate. Here's the first one, verse three. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I'm gonna show you a picture. This is Dennis Squires. Uh, Dennis serves up in the elementary room. He's, he and his family have been a part of our church for a long time. Now this is, just to clarify his title, First Sergeant Dennis Squires of the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment. Okay. <laughs> And Dennis, I'm willing to bet, as he's about to jump out of that plane, doesn't look at his commanding officer and say, hey, is it okay if I FaceTime my wife while I do this? Why? Look at verse four. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Listen, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, if you're going to be on this mission, you've got to be single-mindedly focused on this mission. You can't be caught up in civilian affairs. You are a soldier. The next illustration, verse 5. An athlete cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules. This is Jaden Redman. Uh, Jaden is a student in our North students. Uh, you'll see him every Wednesday night. Uh, he also serves up in the mix. Jaden is a star athlete. He's a cross-country champion. And Jason, uh, Jaden is a runner. Now, I'm not a runner. If you ever see me run, you should run too because we're running from something. Okay? But, but when Paul is speaking about athletes, what Paul probably has in mind is Olympic athletes because that was going on in his day. And Olympic athletes in Paul's day, when they show up for the Olympics, would have to swear an oath that for the last 10 months that they had followed the strict code of conduct of what they would eat and how they would train in order to participate in the Olympics. And if they didn't or if they were caught lying, they would be disqualified. So that's what Paul has in mind. Paul is saying, listen, Timothy, if you're going to live this faith, if you're truly going to run this race that's set before you, you have to be diligent and you have to be self-controlled, self-disciplined, like an athlete. And then verse six, and hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Everybody, this is Gerald Fouts. Now, I don't know a lot of farmers, so I texted Pastor Rodney and I said, hey, text me a picture of your dad where he really looks like a farmer. <laughs> and that's the one he sent. But why a farmer? Paul's saying, listen, to be a farmer, you gotta be hardworking. How many of y'all know lazy farmers? Yeah, they all live in the suburbs. That's us, okay? <laughs> there are no lazy farmers. To be a farmer means to be hardworking and to be fruitful means you have to put in the work. So what's Paul telling Timothy? He's saying, listen, Timothy, all of these professions, all of these occupations have one thing in common, and is that is this. They chose suffering. They chose the path of suffering willingly. And if you're going to build the toughness mentally and spiritually to face the obstacles that are going to come your way, you're going to have to choose suffering. Now, here's the reality. There is an aspect of Christianity 
that is absolutely like this, that you are victorious in Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You are the head and not the tail. All of that's beautiful. But can I tell you, that is not all of Christianity because there's another aspect of Christianity that when you choose to follow Christ, you are choosing a path that involves suffering, willing suffering. In fact, that's why when we become Christians, the very first thing that we do is we get water baptized because water baptism shows outside that we are choosing to die to ourselves. That when we go in the water, we are willingly choosing death as the first act. That we are denying ourselves and we're coming out a new person to live for Christ. That's what he calls us to. And so Paul tells Timothy, listen, if you're going to make it, if you're going to face these obstacles, you're going to have to choose suffering. Can I give you a bonus? I didn't give any of the other experiences. Okay? And that's this. The best kind of suffering is the ones that you choose. Because there's, there's going to be suffering that happens to you, and there's going to be sufferings that you choose to go through. And the stuff that happens to you, you might not know why. You might not know why for the rest of your lifetime, why it happened. But the suffering that you choose, you know exactly why from the beginning. And that's what God calls us to. To choose that suffering. To follow after him. The other stuff will come no matter what. But this is what we're choosing so that we can face that. Amen? So how do we make it? Here's point number one. You can't do it on your own strength. You need grace. To face that challenge you're facing in your family or at your job or in your relationships or at your school, you can't do it on your own. You need grace. You remember verse one, Paul looks at Timothy or he writes to Timothy and he says, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. I remember when I was growing up in church, our pastor said a definition of grace that I think is the most beautiful definition. You probably heard it too growing up in church. And that is this, that grace is unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. If you're not familiar with that term, a better way of understanding may be this. It's a free gift that you don't deserve. That's why Paul says that we are saved by faith through grace. That means our faith doesn't even have legs to stand on unless God offers the gift of salvation for absolutely free, even though we don't deserve it. That's grace. It's the most beautiful thing. But here, while Paul always means unmerited favor when he's using grace, here Paul has a little bit of a nuanced definition. In fact, here it is, that grace is a strength we shouldn't have in a moment we really need it. Grace is a strength that we shouldn't have in a moment that we really need it. I remember when I was young in ministry, now like a decade ago, okay, this is probably about 18 months into my ministry career. I've only worked at North Church. I don't know how other churches are. This is the only place I've been. And I remember a decade ago, 18 months into my ministry career, I was driving out of town, headed uh, for a small vacation, and I got a phone call from Pastor Clint. And at the time, I was serving as the kids pastor here at North Church. And he told me over the phone that a young man, an eight-year-old in our kids' ministry uh, had tragically passed away. And it was one of the most difficult and horrifying things that I had ever felt or dealt with in that moment up to that point. 
And I remember I just turned my car around, canceled the trip, drove straight back to Oklahoma City. I went to the hospital and I sat with the family at the hospital. I prayed with them. And then I came back home and I had this tremendous feeling that I had no idea what it is that I was doing. I had never done any of this before. I didn't know how to comfort a family going through suffering and grieving. I didn't know how to comfort and deal with the, the families that are affected at our church. I didn't know how to do a funeral even. I didn't know any of those things. This was all new to me. I was only 18 months into this thing. And what made it even more difficult is that Pastor Rodney was on a missions trip to the Dominican Republic. He was out of country. And he would be the one I'd be going to at this moment. And I remember I somehow got on a phone call with him and for 30 to 45 minutes, he's just talking, he's just downloading as much as he can to me. Okay, this is what, how you can help with the family and this is what you can talk to your staff about and this is how you do a funeral and here's an order of service. And he's just downloading to me as much as he can over a little phone call, international call. And then I could tell, at least he could tell in the phone call that the weight of my inexperience was weighing on me. And he said something to me in that moment. I don't know if he'll remember it, but I can never forget it. He said to me over the phone, he said, Samson, God can grow you by years in just this one week if you let him. God can grow you by years in just this one week if you let him. And what he was saying to me was this, that, listen, if you rely on God's grace, that he will give you all those years of experience that you don't have, that you shouldn't have. He will give it to you in this one week. Like all those years of knowing what the right thing to say and not to say, he will give it to you in just this one week if you rely on his grace. Because grace is a strength we shouldn't have in a moment we need it. That's what he gives us when we face those challenges ahead. When we face those obstacles and we rely on God's grace and he gives us that strength. That's what grace is. That's strength. Here's number two, if you're taking notes. The gospel for which we suffer is not bound by our limitations. The gospel for which we suffer is not bound by our limitations. Look at what Paul says in verse nine. He says this, and because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. So I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. So Paul is writing to Timothy and said, Timothy, listen, you see these chains? I'm sitting in a prison as I'm writing to you. You see these chains on me? Well, guess who doesn't have chains on him? God. And the gospel can never be changed. I am limited, but God is unlimited. The gospel is unlimited. That's how God's word works. And so he gives him this illustration. It's actually a, probably a poem in the early church. It's, it's at the minimum a saying that was recited by believers in that day. Timothy might have even sung this in a song. So Paul's just reminding him what he would always said. Verse 11, this is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. 
That's the one line that feels a little down, right? Verse 13, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. I have to be honest with you, though. When I read this verse as a young person growing up, I was always confused by it because it seemed like those two lines seemed to be at conflict with each other. Right? That first line that says, if we deny him, he will deny us. If we deny Christ, then he'll deny us. But in the very breath, same breath, Paul says, but if we are faithful, or if we are unfaithful, he will remain faithful. And that seems to be saying the opposite thing. But can I tell you it's not? It's actually, Paul is actually bringing about two important truths for us to, to understand as believers. So let me put it this way. Uh, how many of you guys have Instagram or Facebook? It's okay, we're all ashamed. You can raise your hand, okay? I just have Amber here who's like, yeah, I got it. All right, she's willing to claim it. You know, when you signed up for Instagram or Facebook, you inevitably had to click a little checkbox that says, I agree to the terms and conditions of Facebook and Instagram or Meta, whatever they call it now. And what you are now in is a contractual relationship with Facebook and Instagram, whether you realize it or not. So let's say one day you say, you know what? I'm just gonna rip up my side of this contract and I'm just gonna do whatever I want. Forget the terms and conditions of Facebook. But you know who won't forget the terms and conditions of Facebook? Mark Zuckerberg. In fact, Mark Zuckerberg is incredibly faithful to the terms and conditions of Facebook. Whether you are faithful or faithless, he is faithful. And he will come after you to the full extent that that contract says he can come after you. And there is a reality, a harsh one, when you think about it, that when you deny Jesus and you walk away from him, that you are walking towards a path of destruction and hell. And that may not be popular to hear, but let me tell you, that is the gospel truth. That's what we're choosing when we choose to walk away from God. But there's more to it. Because in this covenant, in these terms and conditions, is also written beautifully that it is his will that none should perish. That anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That the God who gave Pharaoh chance after chance after chance after chance is giving us chance after chance after chance after chance. That it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. So let me tell you about Instagram. I don't use Instagram much, okay? And so sometimes I'll go like a week without touching it. And then I will inevitably see this, I don't know if y'all seen this before, that little red dot on the little app icon and has a little one in it. What does it mean? I got a notification. Someone is interacting with me. My mind is blown. I got to touch this thing in a month. And so I will push it. And when I do, certainly enough, no one was interacting with me. Like it'll be like, oh, did you know your friends posted this? (laughs) You know what that is? That's Mark Zuckerberg saying, Samson, I will never give you up. I will pursue you. I will never give you up. Can I tell you, God will never give you up. 
God will never stop pursuing you. You can run all you want, but it's like this. God will send people, circumstances your way, these little red bubbles all over the place. Say, come back, come back, come back home to your father. Turn away from destruction. Turn away from evil. Come home. He will never stop pursuing you. If you have breath in your lungs right now, that means he has not quit on you. So there's, for you, if you're here, this beautiful hope. And if you're hearing that word and you're saying, I'm done with running away, I'm turning back, this is your moment to turn back. But there's also a second group of us And that's those of us who are willing to say, you know what? I'm tired of living life as a casual Christian. And I'm willing to recognize that I'm a soldier in this fight. That I have a mission that God put me on. And that I'm supposed to be one of those red bubbles for somebody, reminding them that God is chasing after them, right? that I'm supposed to be a runner that runs my race with diligence, with self-control, that lives out the faith, that isn't one of those Christians that is somebody's reason why they don't come to church, right? That I'm willing to be a farmer that is hardworking so that I can see fruit, and that fruit is people's lives change. And I'm willing to live out the call. Can I tell you, this is not a joke. This is real. People's lives matter to God. And they should matter to us. And you have no idea. You have no idea what someone is going through. Who they're waiting to ask to simply say, hey, I saved you a seat. That happens when we realize that we have a mission in front of us, that we have a call, and that's not to be casual, but to live out that call, to be that soldier single-minded on our mission, to be that runner running our race with diligence, to be that farmer willing to sow, willing to sow for the kingdom's sake. So here's what I want to do. If you're here and you're saying, hey, I'm done with being a casual Christian. I want to live out that call. Would you just stand up? If that's you and you're saying, I'm done with casual Christianity, I want to live out the call. And if you stood up, I'm just going to ask you to come right here to the altar. Our prayer team is going to make their way here. Listen, if you're one of those folks and you just, you want to give your heart to Jesus and you realize that Jesus is pursuing me, I can't run from him, come forward to one of these folks will pray with you. But if you're here and you're saying, I'm going to live out this call, I'm going to live out this mission, I want you to meet me here at this altar, and we're going to pursue him. Father, right now, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. I pray right now, Lord God, that you would move in your power, 
that there would be a passion that is stirred up in us, a passion to see your name be lifted up. Your word says that when you are lifted up, you will draw all men unto you. And so God, we believe that when we lift you up in our church, when we lift you up in our lives, when we lift you up in our workplace, when we lift you up in our school, when we lift you up in our neighborhood, Lord, that people will come that people will come, that lost people will come, lost sons and daughters will come because you are moving. You are moving. So God, we invite you to move us, to move us from casual Christians, to call out Christians, to live our mission out. In Jesus' name, the church says, amen.